0: In a world of opportunity, there are certain individuals who take the leap into uncharted waters, the brave souls who go beyond the status quo and challenge old school ways of thinking. They are the entrepreneurs. Join your host, Reggie B, each week as he uncovers stories of perseverance, new perspectives, and the secrets of success through candid conversation with those who struck out on their own and survived. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's your host, the man, the myth, the legend, Reggie B hey 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 welcome to another episode of hey you get a real fucking job i am reggie b and i know you're not gonna want to miss a minute of this so make sure you subscribe now on apple spotify or wherever it is you're listening okay enough of the small talk let's get on with the show hey legends welcome back to another episode of hey you get a real fucking job i am reggie b and i am your host and i gotta tell you you know what on today's show we have what i would call a verified legend right a lot of us are legends in the making but this guy has you know been there done that let's let's say um i want to introduce you to matthew gray and matthew is joining us from honolulu hawaii so you know doesn't get much better than that, um, but let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew is um, the owner of Hawaiian Food Tours, which I know you know. There's been some stuff with that. We'll talk about, uh, but most recently, you know, he started his own podcast, and it's called Fifty Tastes of Gray, um, which you know I'm excited to learn about, and, and we'll get into that. Matthew has owned numerous different businesses. Let, let me run something down here for you. He's a chef he's a metabolic health specialist he's an entrepreneurial advisor an interview consultant an author a newspaper journalist food tour creator radio talk show host and i'm sure there's probably a lot of other things he's maybe forgotten he's done uh in his time but uh you know with that said i'm excited about this show matthew welcome to the show thank you reggie for inviting me this is gonna be a lot of fun oh hey you know what i got two questions for you you know how many lifetimes have you led up to this point and and do you ever sleep like that's yeah you know
1: those are great questions i must be somewhat cat-like because it seems like i've lived a lot of lifetimes and i do sleep i sleep better now than i used to so that's a pretty cool
0: thing right yeah no listen you know what like i say the the things you've done and and when i was looking at your bio and that it was like where do i even start like you know we could probably take one portion of your life and that would be a, a podcast episode in itself but but i tell you where i'm gonna start because when i read this it was like Okay. How, like straight out of high school, right? You traveled with the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac and Pink Floyd and and, crazy. And that in itself is like, okay, that, that's the name of the show, but uh, tell me about that. Like, how does a, a kid out of high school get that opportunity? And what were you doing? Actually that was it
1: was leverage for me to get out of high school. It wasn't even after high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was while I was in my senior year. My my neighbors across the street, Jeff and Marty, had been doing merchandising for some rock and roll bands, and they uh had done it for a number of years. They were already in their early twenties and they were done with that. And they wow. asked me, I was all of what, seventeen at that time, hey Matt, would you like to go on the road with the Eagles on their Hotel California tour? No way. I said, yeah, what am I going to say to that? No. Right. Um, I said, I have to ask my mom and dad. <laughs> and so I, I asked them, and they said, sure, go experience life, have fun. And Wow. Um, you know, you'll make up the whole high school thing at the on the other side, which I did. Yeah. And I got to live that incredibly uh, wild life of a kid on the road with, you know, the famous rock and rollers. Yeah. And I was in the capacity of doing merchandising. So selling anything with their licensed name on it, okay, and doing that all over the country and around the world, and it was a it was a great time. It was a great number of years when I was doing the rock and roll
0: world. Wow, that's awesome! And and you know what? Kudos to your parents to giving you that opportunity. How many you know seventeen year olds could could say? And I'm a parent of a seventeen year old, right? And and I have sent him off to school to chase his dreams, but. How many could say, oh, yeah, just go ahead. Them rock and rollers, I'm sure they'll take care of you. (laughs) Like, off you go. (laughs) Enjoy life, and we'll see you when you get back. Like, uh, you must have had some very, you know, great, inspiring parents um, supporting you. You know, yeah, when you think
1: about it, either they were incredibly visionary or incredibly innocent. I'm not (laughs) quite sure which, but they did let me go. Now, they wouldn't have done the same thing for my sister. Right. So uh, I think that they believed that I had a good head on my shoulders and right. uh, allowed me to just go out and do my life, which was a fantastic opportunity because I could have just as easily said, no, we need you to finish high school and
0: get a job at McDonald's oh, after high school or something. Absolutely. Maybe. Yeah, I know. And like you say, you know, and it could have been, well, maybe, you know, maybe you're a pain in the ass and they couldn't send you off to military school. So they thought, well, we'll just ship them off, uh, let the rock and roll sure take was. care of them. But. <laughs> I, I'm sure <laughs> I was a pain in the ass a lot of the time. (laughs) But no, you know what? That's awesome. So, so let's back up a little bit then. Let's, let's talk about, you know, Matthew Gray before the, the entrepreneurial bug bit. Um, you grew up in LA, correct? Actually, no, I was born okay. in New York City. Oh, okay. Uh, then my family
1: moved to Los Angeles when I was 10 years old. Okay. Now, they didn't tell me about it right away, Reggie, but I caught up with them eventually. <laughs> and then I grew up in LA to the early
0: nineties when I moved here to Honolulu. Wow. That's crazy. So what kind of childhood did you have now? Did your parents like, were they entrepreneurial? Were they, you know, nine to five working you know, for somebody else? Uh, what kind of influence did you have growing up? My
1: mom was a very by the book type of person
0: and, uh,
1: you know, detailed and sharp and brilliant and wonderful. And my dad was like, try to get the edge, Matt. That's the kind of life he, he was all about. He was always trying to like figure things out, play, be like the chess player, try to get the edge or advantage in situations, whether it was business or personal kind of thing. Right. So they were coming at me from two different sides of the world as far as their personalities were concerned. But I think that that's good because. I'd like to think that I was able to take the best of mom and right. the best of dad yeah. and then combine them for myself and I bet that's the way that everybody else feels too.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and it's great when <clears throat> when you have uh you know they say a opposites attract so it sounds like that's the type of parents you had, you know, very opposite. I uh, I can say with my spouse and I were we're opposite. Um but I I think it also gives you that well-rounded um you know childhood where where you're seeing different perspectives and and you're, you're kind of like you said I can take the good from mom I can take the good from dad at least what you think is good at the time um, yeah. and, and you know approach it to my life so um, and that's awesome now you mentioned a, a sister but they weren't as liberal with her is that correct Oh no, and I, I wouldn't be either if I had if I had a, a daughter. Right, uh,
1: you know she wouldn't leave the house until twenty one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but with me, you know they they were kind of strict with her, and with me they were just like, yeah, go out with the rock and rollers, and, right? And you know what's curious is that I still have most of my brain cells left, which is a really
0: really <laughs> beneficial thing in life, especially at that time, right when uh, yeah, that'd be I'm guessing through the eighties. Uh, seventies possibly for, for yeah, that was the, the rock and roll seventies into the early eighties. Right. I was doing that. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still fairly intact with most <laughs> of my brain. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So you moved to LA at 10. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, went to, went to high school, did the rock and roll thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened after that? Where, where did life take you after that wrapped up? And maybe, you know, maybe I should ask, why did that wrap up? Why? give that up or was it kind of, okay, the time is done. Maybe it's a short lived sort of um career and it's time to move on.
1: Unless you're really, really pampered and have a lot of money, it's difficult to live out of a suitcase for a very long time. Okay. And that is a wild life, and it does take a lot out of you. And you could definitely understand after doing something like that how maybe an athlete's life would be when they're in their prime, in their 20s, mid-20s, and late 20s, and so on. Right. Then things start to go downhill from that perspective. For me, being on the road with the drugs and the sex and the rock and roll and living out of a suitcase was really difficult. So after about five or six years, I was at the ripe old age of about 22, 23, (laughs) and I wondered, what am I going to do with my life? And I figured the best thing for me to do would be to follow in my mom's footsteps, which would be to feed, educate. And entertain people and food was always a big thing for me. I used to, as a little kid, follow my mom around the kitchen and right. use our little dog, Happy. That was his name. Yeah. Uh, and I used to use him as a step stool to see what mom was cooking <laughs> on the range. That was right. 150 pounds ago, by the way.
0: Right. Yeah. So,
1: um, and so I learned my love for food and flavor and plate architecture and color and aroma because of my mother. Okay. So I decided when I was in my early twenties, what I was going to do with the rest of my life was go to school, learn to become a chef and bring that, bring that back to uh, Los Angeles. So I went to London. Oh, wow. Okay. uh, I went to the Cordon Bleu which is a very well-known culinary institute, well-known around the world. And I came back to L.A. and uh, started my chefing career by hiring an agent, a chef's agent, not a literary agent or an acting agent, but a chef's agent who – was able to get me work cooking for the people who I had previously been on tour with. So I got to end up cooking for a lot of people in the rock and roll world <laughs> and people in Hollywood, like Robin Williams and John oh. Simpson, the producer of Flashdance, Top Gun, Beverly right. Hills Cop, all that kind of stuff, people in and around Hollywood. So that's what I was doing for a number of years there, uh, in Los Angeles after I decided at, you know, in my early
0: twenties, what I wanted to do yeah at that ripe old age now by your early 20s you had more lifetime experience than, than a lot of people um you know based on the the path you had gone down so so that's kind of it's cool funny too,
1: because, you know, the kids today, in, in today's day and age, kids in their 20s, they're all coaches. They're life coaches and financial coaches and wealth coaches. And like they're coaching stuff that it takes a lifetime to really kind of gather. To understand, Look right. back When I look back on, on my life, it's like maybe I was just a teeny bit fortunate and a step ahead of my time. And I had a lot that I could offer at that
0: time. I just didn't know how I could share it with the world yet. Right. Now, The, the chef agent, I'd never heard that term before. So is that, is that more of a, a a Hollywood LA type of thing where there's basically an agent for everything? Is that, is that that world? Yeah, exactly. It was at that time,
1: probably nowadays it's probably worldwide. So I just entered the field early. I learned about that. These people existed and I I reached out. I was never afraid to ask for help. And that was one of the things that my dad taught me early on. Right. He said, Matt, if you got a problem, ask somebody for help. And people are always willing to step up and help out. And so that was one of the really great
0: things that he gave to me. That's awesome. Now I can assume that, you know, and, and we all have our, our thoughts of how it'd be working with the rich and famous. Um, and what was your experience like? Like, I mean, e- you know, you, you dropped a huge name and I was never going to ask any names, but you said someone like Robin Williams, Um, you know, here's a man who's well revered, you know, in the prime of, you know, or his career. And there you are, you know, cooking his grilled cheese or whatever it is right how how was that experience like it had to be nerve-wracking for you know you're a younger fella you're what did you say early 30s when when you started uh, you're chefing for. The, I was in, in my mid mid-twenties mid-twenties, when, right. mid twenties. Mid twenties, right? Mid to late twenties when I got back to Los
1: Angeles and started right. doing the the chefing. And I was one of Los Angeles's earliest or youngest executive chefs at that time. But I didn't want to be in the kitchen. I okay. wanted to be out with the people. Right. And so that's why I reached out to the agent and asked if she could help
0: me get some work. And so I was very fortunate so how how did you find that experience like was it nerve-wracking when when you're you know uh, i assume you're you're cooking for parties you're cooking for family you're cooking you know how did you handle that 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 had to be stressful Oh yeah, well you know it's like the shit the pants moment,
1: <laughs> and uh, that kind of stuff is overwhelming at first when you meet somebody who you've only seen on screen, or yeah. somebody who has, who truly is an idol and has all this kind of worldwide recognition. It's like you kind you have to gather yourself and you have to say, okay, well I've got a job to do here. You get past it, you shake it off, and you move on. One of the things that you learn in culinary arts is that you have to be on time. You cannot run late right, and it it better be good because you don 't get a second chance and so a lot of my life was always kind of like clock based and, yeah. and being punctual and I'm not going to say perfection because I don't believe perfection exists. Right, I believe okay. excellence does. And so I always kind of was the person who was striving for excellence. And after I was able to shake off my nerves, uh, whether it was playing baseball or, or cooking for Dan Aykroyd, Robin Williams, and the rest, uh, once I did that, I had a job to do. And right. that, that was kind of how I approached it.
0: So you must have, and maybe you were always, and maybe this was instilled from your parents, but you must be a very routine type of person, or at least you were, like you say, you know what, you you had to be on time, there, there was a job to do, it's got to be, you know, not only excellent, but served on time, you know, served hot, all the things you're expecting. So did you build routine into your life or were you always kind of a, a routine type of person? I was always an on-time person. I okay. was always a punctual
1: person. I was always a person who met his deadline. But I am the most relaxed, routine person ever. I am right. so chill. Um And I was always able to be spontaneous. But when work or actually commitment was part of the project i would always make sure that i held my commitment and and i think that's what maybe separated me from other people so i was never a boring routine stick in the mud right. i was a person who you know you could swing with and drink with and play with but if i had a job to do i would take care of that cuz that's a
0: commitment Right. And were you able to, and I don't know if this happened very much. Um, you know, when you're, you're cooking the meals or that, but were you able to be spontaneous where somebody decided, you know what? No, Matt, we don't want that for dinner tonight. We're having guests over whatever. Can you, you know, flip on a dime sort of thing? Or is it like, oh shit, that, that wasn't part of the script? Oh, there were a lot of oh shit moments. And if you want to talk about
1: the Robin Williams experience, the oh shit moment was when I almost set his house on fire. Oh. So I'm in the kitchen preparing, you know, filet mignon and whatever else the side dishes are. And I wanted to be a big shot because he was down there and. I flambéed or tried to flambé the steaks in the pan, which exploded after I added the cognac to the pan, singed oh, no. my eyebrows and caught fire <laughs> of the drapes behind me. <laughs> oh, and sh- that turned into, you talk about a shit show. I uh, yes. And we had police and fire engines and the whole <laughs> bit. And that's where I truly lost it. That was like the toughest experience of my professional career, but he was cool as a cucumber. He was, he just as long as everyone was safe, everything was good with him. And so, yeah, those kind of things happen and you just have to really kind of deal with it. Emergency requires emergency. Right. And, uh, you know, you have to take care of all the things that occur and that's what was going on for me at that time.
0: That's, uh, I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, you know, y- y- you have to come out of a, uh, an experience like that and say, okay, uh, you know, I'll never work in this industry again. Right. Um, exactly. That that has to be going through your mind as you're trying to put the fire out or whatever you're doing. It's like, okay, th- this is it. I just signed my walking papers. Um, but it sounds like, <laughs> no, you were, you were fortunate enough to, to keep going. So, um, th- that's of that resilience, it? I guess.
1: Oh, you know, one of the things I did learn, Reggie, after that was to always have my own portable fire extinguisher with me when <laughs> right. someone's home. Yeah. And, you know, not a joke because I saw firsthand what could really happen. And um that was during an experience when I was running one of my companies called Pamper and Dine. Right. And I was going
0: to bring that one up. So let's yeah. talk about
1: that. <laughs> So, pamper and dine was an only in Los Angeles experience, and when I started that, I wanted to combine massage and fine dining. So, my girlfriend at the time was a masseuse. Okay. So, we would go into people's homes. She would massage the couple one at a time upstairs or wherever, somewhere in their house while I was preparing a pre-customized gourmet dinner in their kitchen. Wow. So, after the massages took place, everyone came downstairs, you know, in their robes or whatever. I got to see half of Hollywood naked, (laughs) um, which is interesting for a chef because I wasn't the masseuse. (laughs) Right. yeah. Yeah. Um, And so we got to do that. And we got a lot of really wonderful publicity, People Magazine, National Enquirer, New York Times, all the TV stations and all that. So I'm used to being in those kind of very creative, very media intensive kind of positions. And and that's what
0: I was doing. I was just digging the whole creative thing. That's, that's, yeah, that's an experience that I, very few of us can say we've ever had or, or, um, would be able to handle because it, like, there's a lot of pressure. You're not, you're not just cooking for somebody coming into the restaurant, you know, mom and dad and a couple of kids. You're, you're cooking for the elite. Um, you know, you're providing a service to the elite. And I couldn't imagine the amount of pressure, but like you say, if, if you're, the type of person you are very laid back roll with the punches i guess it'd be pretty easy so so what happened with pamper and dine because that sounds like that that was an awesome awesome um idea uh to to mix the two. and what what became of that that lasted for
1: about four years, and it lasted as long as it could through a busted-up relationship between myself and, and my girlfriend at the time. Okay. And to try to find other masseuses and try to live the life of, like, you know – this kind of celebrity chef guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was difficult threading that needle really. Um, so, you know, it didn't last forever and it didn't make me zillions of dollars or so on, but it was one of life's really colorful and warm experiences that, you know, ended up being a semi success or a semi failure, depending on how you look at right. it. Right. I got to meet a lot of people and it was a great stepping stone for me. And, and, you know, now that I look back on it, I embrace all the things that did not work to my dream and that worked for a period of time because everything is temporary when you look at it in a certain light. And that was a great temporary four year journey. And so uh, it was really good. It was a lot of fun for the most part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you just mentioned something there that, you know, I think it's important for a lot of entrepreneurs to understand is some things are temporary. Some things don't last forever. Some businesses come and go, and y- you learn from them, and you just carry on, right? And, uh, you know, I, I think that's huge, and it can be a tough lesson um, because we're not – we're not born to accept failure i guess right we're taught that failure is bad um right from school shit we we get marks on, on our papers right and it's uh, at one point it was you know a b c d e f right well we knew what the f meant <laughs> you oh, know yeah. and, and we were taught that that that's a bad thing and once you get into business and you get those failures that can be hard to shake off. So, um, I think it's a very important to hear that. Yeah. It was a great experience. Let's move on. I right. flaunt my failures. I'm,
1: I'm so proud of all of those times I messed up and fell in my ass because had that not happened, I would not be living a real life. I would not be. Right. I'm an authentic person and I would never have been able to get to the next level. So I think failure is really important for everybody. And I think that it's okay to talk
0: about it and to share that stuff. Yeah, because that's where you learn, right? Uh, and, and you you mentioned athletes before, right? You can't really tell an athlete's character if they always win. Right. Right. It's right. in the failure that you start to see, okay, what kind of person are you really? Are, are you resilient? Can you bounce back? Can you learn? You know, are you coachable and all these things? You don't get that when you're just successful. Oh yeah. The right? school of hard knocks is for real. It's
1: a, real absolutely. Place. It's a real university. And then we all need to go through that at one point.
0: Yeah. You know, I say that there, there's two ways you can learn book smarts or street smarts and I'll choose street smarts any day of the week uh, same here because that's where the real learning is done right well you're so right i mean there are so many educated derelicts out there there are
1: people who have degrees up their yin yang and yet they can't do this they can't have a social a right experience they can't communicate with people they don't know how to understand what the human condition is all about but they yeah. do know their particular field yeah, absolutely um, you know case in point uh, a lot of physicians they really know their stuff, they know how, surgeons know how to do their thing, and, yeah. and certain physicians know how to do their thing, but they know nothing about nutrition right, but they know about medicine right so I'd much rather be a well rounded person than a person who's like totally like
0: laser focused on one thing yep yeah. yep yeah. i i I had uh one gentleman and gosh, I'm going to screw up this quote that he said, but uh, when he said it, it was great. it was something about he's had you know, a lifetime experience of experiences um, throughout the decades, but there's other people who have one type of experience for decades throughout their lifetime. And, you know, that to me, it was like, yeah, I would rather have all those different experiences, failures, successes, whatever it is, than just no one thing. And uh, yeah, I-, I think that's, True of a a lot of successful entrepreneurs is which you have shown. And so let's continue on. You know, um, after pamper and dine, um, when did, um, the food for trader, trader Joe's come in with that company? Um, yep. Matthew's Fine the, Dining, was it? Yeah, uh, Chef Matthew's Fine Foods. <laughs> Chef Matthew's Fine uh, Foods. <laughs> was a company that I created a lot of
1: gourmet, sexy, stuffed finger foods for the Trader Joe's line. So I had about five different really yummy apps and things like that that we'd supply. We'd make in Burbank where my food kitchen was. Okay. And then we'd deliver it throughout Southern California to the Trader Joe's there. And this was back in the day. This was pre-internet. So we didn't right. have the opportunity to send emails. And to look at each other like this that we're doing (laughs) from thousands of miles away. So you had to do different things back in the day. One was making a phone call. And trying to get yourself uh, an appointment set up to where you can shake hands and get into the face and communicate with people. So I pitched my foods and Trader Joe's invited me to their offices and I did a whole tasting thing, a dog and pony show. Right. And, and one thing led to another. And I began supplying them with these really luscious, decadent and delicious, uh, items.
0: Now, how, how did you go about it? I mean, I, I know you, you know, Knew the chef side of things, um, but what about the business side? Because now I, I I have to assume it's some sort of a transition from from preparing meals in people's homes to now you're trying to sell a product to mm-hmm. to a large company like Trader Joe's. So so what gave you the ambition to to try that and just say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock on their door and see if uh, we can work with them. Fortunately enough,
1: when I was young, I was ambitious and I didn't know the downside to <laughs> okay. And and maybe that's good, you know, the kind of like not knowing or the the stupidity, if you will. Blinders on sort of thing. Right. It's yeah, I wanna do this. This is gonna make me feel good. And so I went and I did it. Uh which if we were to dovetail that conversation into today, that's what I'm doing now a lot of the time is I'm helping young people, artists, creatives kind of bridge the gap over into the business world so they can learn how to do the same kinds of things. For me, it came naturally, but I wasn't thinking to myself, I'm an artist. Now I have to do business, right? I just thought I was a hustler. So I knew what I had was good, uh, whether it was artwork or food. And I knew that the, the way to do a life was to be able to make that available to the masses as as many masses as I could and try to sell my product. And really what I was doing the whole time was just pushing myself and following my own intuition to try to make things happen. So Mm. that's why I say, uh, the failures are so valuable. I, I was declined so many times in high school trying to pick up girls that I learned <laughs> about rejection early on. Right. So none of the rejection that you could give me would stop me. Right. Uh, yeah. Already every girl that I approached <laughs> said no, no thanks. And uh, that was the nice response. Um, so in business, it was comfortable for me just to say, I have something delicious here. I have something beautiful here and I'd like you to look at it, try it maybe sell it right and that's kind of how a
0: lot of the successes came along that's great um, and and you talked about you know now you're helping the creatives because l- let's face it right the, the creative side is more the emotional side of us right when, when you're creating it's about the feelings it's about the emotion that that whether it's the food or like the artwork behind you um, creates but business is more about logic and, and those two things, right? When you, when you try to combine them, um, that in itself can be a, a battle when, when it's a creative minded person or even on the other side, a logical person, which I am trying to create something. It's like, you know, that doesn't make sense or, you know, that's not making me feel good, whatever, whatever the case may be. So, uh, Trying to combine those two skills in itself is, uh, you know, tough for a lot of people. You're right.
1: It definitely goes both ways, Reggie. You know, whether you're a creative trying to get over into the business world or you're uh, a logic business based functionary who wants to go into the creative, right. there's that bridge that you have to be able to create to be able to join those two worlds because they are extremely different.
0: Right. Now, if you had to choose one, because obviously you have both or you've learnt both, um, which would you rather? If you could only choose one, would you rather be the creative guy or would you rather be the logical guy? Without even a moment's thought, it's the creative guy.
1: Right. Because I, I've always been of the thought that if I do what I want and it makes me feel good, eventually the money will come. Right. If I fall on my butt doing what I want to do, I have no one to blame it on. I can take the credit or the responsibility if I just lay it on myself. So, yeah, business was never my endeavor until I got into it and started to see how can I be creative in business. Right, And that's what I was able to do. I was able to kind of take my creative side and then be creative in business once I bridged the gap. Yeah,
0: Okay yeah i and I would have to agree like I do have my creative sides, uh but sometimes yeah they they clash with my my logic, <laughs> so it can oh, be a struggle, yeah. um but well, you know, logic sometimes slows us down, and you know that's that's
1: what I was saying before a lot of people who are really, really smart in a particular field are just that, and they can't break out of that, so right. it's hard for their right brain to think about creative ways to get out of the fix, right. or creative fixes to get out of their rut. And those are the things that I think about. Okay.
0: So then, I'm not sure if you left L.A. before you got into talk radio, or were you in talk radio when you were still in L.A.? I was doing talk radio there. I had started a greeting card company. Yes. Yes. Um, now let's talk about that. How how do you go from food, right? You're a chef. Um Now how do you say, oh, you know what? Uh, let's let's start a greeting card company. Like where does that thought come from?
1: I know, it's crazy. <laughs> when when you go ahead and connect the dots, you start to see amazing images that appear. But the whole greeting card thing happened because I had a friend, Christine, who was a photographer. This is back in the 80s. Okay. And yeah. she was a really, really talented photographer, and she always lamented about not being able to sell her photographs. And so one night, um, when we weren't very high, we stumbled <laughs> upon a process of creating artwork on uh, developed film that had gone through the process. And it was um something that if I was smart enough at that time, I would have patented. But it was just a really cool uh process that allowed us to make – Unbelievable artwork. And so... Together we did that, and it was using household products on top of developed film. Okay, and we used crayons, and we used hair, and we used chemicals, and we did all this kind of stuff. Then put it through the processing machine. This is back in the days when you used to print film, right? Yeah, to get the little photographs. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like you know people had cameras on.
0: You were, you were in you're in the dark room,
1: and uh, yeah, the dark room in the dark ages, right? Um, yeah, it, it, you know the years I call BC. Before right. COVID. Before, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, we did that and we had this these awesome products and these really, really cool designs. And so, I had to go out there and just march the streets and then present those designs and shop it to various different stores and gift shops and so on like that. So, that's how you get in the greeting card business.
0: Right. Not being too high. Not being too high. <laughs> yeah.
1: You have to forgive me. The statute of limitations have blown <laughs> yeah. out of a lot of that
0: stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So, so there's a greeting card company now. Somewhere in there is talk radio. Talk radio was right in that time because I used to
1: listen to talk radio before, or not before, but while... Everyone else was listening to rock and roll, and of course, I was doing that a little bit, but I was getting into talk radio I was into into the human potential movement and meditation and life and bettering myself and so i used used to listen to this man called Michael Benner. Uh, and he used to talk about all those things about being, being better and trying to stay focused and centered and, and, and all of these things that a lot of people don't give time and attention to, but I did. And, uh, I've known him now since since the '80s, and he's still doing the same thing. He's still oh, wow. mystic and, and a meditator, and a, an amazing person. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that that I enjoyed talk radio, and I still do to this day. I listen to talk. You know, while other others might sit down and listen to music, I'll put right. on the buds and listen to your show, or you yeah. know, listen to uh, Josh Zepps or Joe Rogan or whoever. Right. Yeah. And that's how I find my relaxation. Is, is hearing people communicate and, and get together. And there's, there's definitely time for music, but I definitely think there's time for engagement through conversation mostly.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and, and that is, I think that's taking that creative side through the music. And then let's throw a little logic in by listening to a show where maybe, you know, I can get engaged or I can, you know, Possibly learn something. Um, and yeah, finding that balance is great when you realize I need to feed both animals, right? I need to feed right. the creative side and the logic side. So and um, yeah, sometimes finding that balance can be tough. So at some point you left L.A. At some point I did after, after many
1: of those experiences that we just discussed. And and it was, it was just time to go, you know, Rodney King and the riots of LA happened. And it was, you know, the beginning of the decline of Los Angeles. And it just continues apparently to this day. Wow. And, uh, it was a good time to get out and kind of shake it off. And you know what they used to say, when you when your hand would get crammed from writing, you just kind of shake it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of what I did with my whole entire being. Right. And I got to Honolulu and I said, oh boy, what am I going to do now? Because I didn't have a plan in mind. I didn't have a job
0: waiting for me. Right. Because you, so. you told me when we were talking prior to the show that you got rid of everything. When you decided to leave LA, you just kind of left it all behind. Yeah. Um and, and just can't chose to, to go try- to Hawaii. Yeah, you can't just wait until everyone
1: comes around from your Craigslist ad to buy your stuff. So, <laughs> what I couldn't sell, I gave away. Wow, or, and or just left behind, and and that's the only way you can do it. Because if you let your stuff hold you back, you just can't move forward, right?
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: that's a good so analogy. analogy. So I got, I got to Honolulu and I decided I was going to try to be the food writer, restaurant critic for Hawaii's largest newspaper. And I banged away at that for years trying to get the job. And, uh, I did that by writing for the weekly, which is a a lower end publication. Right. And I became a food writer for a number of years while constantly banging away at the big newspaper and finally ended up getting that job. One of the most coveted jobs I think ever. Oh, wow. Okay. Getting paid to eat in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Right. Such a bad thing.
0: <laughs> no, I would guess not. So, yeah. um, how, how'd that go? Like, where did you go from there? Did, did you stick it out there? Did something else catch your eye and you decided, okay, time to go into something else. What happened? Well, you know, food and food writing, uh, kind of were a natural
1: transition for me. So, while I was cooking in Los Angeles and being a chef, when I got to Hawaii, I no longer was working as a chef, as right. a cook anymore. And so, that's when the writing and journalism career began. And I did that for a long number of years and started up a, a radio program and a website. Way back then, in the early 90s, I started up lovelife.com. Okay. And lovelife.com was uh, one of the first... Internet broadcast radio shows uh, in the world at that time. So that was really cool. So Love Life Radio was happening, and I was writing for the newspaper, the food reviews and all that. So that was a really fun time, the beginning of the internet days and
0: the internet age. Right, right. yeah. So why, when you went to... Uh, Hawaii. Why didn't you try to get into what you knew? Why didn't you knock on the doors of restaurants instead of the newspapers? Were, Were you just kind of past the the chef days and you thought, you know what? I've been there, done that. It's time to experience something else. Um. I don't really have that, been there, done that mentality,
1: but uh, you know, come on, Reggie, I was old by then. I was like 30 or something. (laughs) In
0: your thirties, yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, you don't want to do that anymore. When you're working in the kitchen, that is brutal work. Right. It is. Stuff. You know, any. Anybody who doesn't think that cooking is difficult and challenging needs to get into a kitchen. Yes. And, uh, and,
0: and you know, I've always, I've owned a restaurant in my time and I can tell you, you have to love it. Um, right. because there are so many hours. It, it's like, you know, everybody ta- sees, okay, it took half an hour to get my food to the table. Well, no, that, that food coming to the table took two hours to prep everything prior to, and yeah, there's so much uh, work into it that I always said um, that is an industry that you have to have the passion for. We always talk about, you know, trying to make money at our passion and, and following our passion and our dreams, and that is one industry. You have to be have passion for. So I don't envy, uh, you know, anybody who, who's doing it because, uh, yeah,
1: no thanks. You're so right on. I mean, that is such a perfect capsulation of what that life is like because, you know, first of all, everybody. At some point or another during their lifetime, wants to open up a restaurant because they make the best meatloaf for the best. <laughs> right. And yeah. Okay. And yeah. the thing is, you know what, friends? Save your recipes. Um, the the success level success rate of restaurants is slight.
0: Right. And uh, and the yeah. margins are are not the best either, especially right. you know in today's uh, society. Right. It's uh yeah. yeah.
1: And unless you're selling booze and or other kinds of products and merch, you can have a difficult time. Right. But if it's your art and it's your creative spirit that's driving you forward, then I have nothing to complain about at that point. But don't go into it thinking you're going to make a lot of money off off of your lasagna. Right. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Just <don't happen>. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um Okay. So you, you did a journalist thing um, and then at some point you opened Hawaii food tours. Right. I had to leave the newspaper because I I
1: told my employers at that time uh the, the employers of the Honolulu Advertiser, the newspaper I was writing for, were was a corporation that owns People magazine and oh, okay. that kind of thing. So there would have been a huge conflict of interest and so when I said that I wanted to open up a food tour company, everyone said, Well first they said what? What's that? did that? Yeah, right. Because it was only the second one in the United States, right? And that was in two thousand four. Now there are thousands of food tour companies all over the world in every major city. Wow! So that's how early on I was with that. Yeah. But everyone, everyone said, "You're going to leave the the best job in the world, getting paid to eat in Hawaii, where you don't have to go into an office, <laughs> right? And start your own thing? That's crazy." I said, "Well." You know, that's just more of me. Yeah. And so I started Hawaii food tours, which was all about taking care of visitors who came here to Hawaii. Yeah. Want to learn about the architecture and the culture. And of course, everything based in food and fun. And so we gave it to them. We um, entertain and. Educated and fed these people from 2004 to 2020. Thousands and thousands of people came to Hawaii and did our tours. And it was like a really magnificent 16 year run until
0: the COVID shit show took us down. To until, yeah. Yeah. And we were going to get into that, but I, I, I want to learn a little bit more. Cause like you said, when, when you started the, the food tour, it was the only the second one in the U S. Right. Where where did you get that inspiration for? Because like I say, it's kind of like you're just kind of like okay, let's do this today. Um, h- had you been on a food tour before, and you thought you know what that that's a great business concept, or what pushed you in that direction?
1: I'd never been on a food tour uh, before then, okay. but I've been on a lot of food tours since then. Right. So what was happening with me was that I realized where I was living. I was living in a in a huge destination city. Yeah. Honolulu is a place where everybody kind of dreams about before right. they get there, and so when people come to Hawaii, I figured well. Since we're having so many tourists come here, why don't I show off our city and our food and our culture because this is what I would want to do? Because everywhere I had traveled previously, even though I was unaware of food tours per se, it was always important to me to find the best places for breakfast or lunch or dinner, the best right. restaurants. And that was back in the day when you had to look at guidebooks that yes. were usually two or three years old from the time that they were written <laughs> right. to the time that I was looking at them. Right. But it was always about the search for the best food and the best flavor. And I decided that maybe opening up something called Hawaii Food Tours was kind of catchy and would allow me to kind of get out from behind the shadows because as a food writer, no one knew my identity. They knew my name. They read my articles but no one knew who, who I was. Right. Okay. So being the very, very social person, I really am at heart. I wanted to get out from being just the journalist, the food writer and get out with the people down on the ground and show them our wonderful city. Right. So that's really what, what drove that forward. That's awesome.
0: Now, do you find as a chef, are you pretty critical when you go into restaurants? Or do you understand enough that, you know what, not everything's going to be great every time and we'll cut them a little bit of slack? Or, or when you walk in because of what you've done, are you expecting excellence?
1: I am the most critical person in the world when it comes to stepping foot in a restaurant. Okay. And yet, when friends or family invite me to their home, it's the best thing in the world I ever tasted. Right. And you know why I'm not, I, I don't criticize friends and family. Because I like having friends and family. <laughs> so I love, I love the energy. I love the heart. When right. someone cooks for me, it means that much. But when I'm going into a restaurant, especially if I'm representing people who work hard for their money yeah. and they want to know about value and they want to know about quality. That's a very important issue to me, and so that's where I become critical, and that's where diner's remorse can take place at sometimes times when, right. when uh, I'm not so happy about what came out of the kitchen, and I find myself still to this day wanting to help restaurants by giving them tips and pointers and so on.
0: Yeah. And, and and from that side just so I understand um what is it that is important to you when you're looking at you know critiquing the food is it is it just come down to flavors is does it come down to portion size does it come down to you know how long it took you to get it out of the damn kitchen or is it kind of all all inclusive
1: It's all inclusive for me when I was writing about restaurants my first thought was How will I get 2,000 words out of this experience? (laughs) Right, okay, yeah. (laughs) So I was thinking from the writer's mind. Right. uh, Everything else after that were things like, um, what is the exterior looking like? Do they have valet parking? How was I treated? Did they have a host or a hostess inside? How did they treat me? How did they welcome me? Right. There was so much that I looked at. So much that I paid attention to long before the food ever got to my table. Right. I wanted to see if, if like the waitstaff was bringing me a cup and they were holding it like this. Right. The top. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. 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 That's one of, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in life. If, if people don't understand what to do, if they don't understand their choreography, their dance, what they need to do, how to walk, how to greet, how to hold, how to present. Right. Those are things long before you get the food in your face. And so I was really, really rather rigid with the things that I would look at. I would take a look at the decor. I would take a look at the, just the way the whole style was and the look and the feel and the smell. And then we'd get down to brass tacks and we'd see how, how their service was and how the flavors are. Yeah. And it didn't always have to be about complexity. It could be about simplicity too. Right. Because there are a lot of simple things in life that are just ultimately delicious. And I appreciate that stuff. So it never had to be just fancy schmancy like yeah. what my education was. It could just be down to the burgers and fries. And I'll right. tell you if someone is doing it right.
0: Yeah. So it's about the entire customer experience, which it should be. Like you say, from the moment yeah. you walk in that door, um, that is that feeling. Right. That is that creative side. And, and when you're going for, for a meal, it's creative. It's not, it's not about logic. It's not about, you know, Oh, well, you know, how long did it take and how much did it cost me? I don't give a, you know, what it doesn't matter what it costs (laughs) if the experience was the proper one. Right. Right. Now
1: I was always the guy that. Was asking all of the questions. And by the time they realized I must be some sort of a food writer or food expert or something, <laughs> it was way too late for them. It was too late. Yeah. <laughs> they could not call an audible at that time. <laughs> right. So right. it's like, this guy is asking me, uh, where this fish was caught. The guy at table 11, you know, right. So I would see people be looking over because no one knew who I was when I was the critic, yeah. but I was asking intense questions. And, uh, you know, I was able to kind of establish and evaluate the staffers and therefore the management because the management is responsible for the staffers. Right. And so I could tell you whether an operation is running well based on the information that that they've been trained to give.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you were kind of like the Hawaiian Gordon Ramsay at that in time way, except in, in a way gordon right still
1: cooking yes but you know as far as the critic side of me yeah yeah maybe like gordon ramsey but but you know he's remained this incredible mul- multi-media personality and he's still cooking to this day right i i put down all my gear um you know when i was still a relatively young man yeah Um but i but i still always carry this just so you know oh yeah and, yeah. and what's the significance of that? The significance of always carrying a spoon yeah. is that I always have the opportunity to taste life and I never miss a drop. Okay. So that's, that's always in my pocket. Wow. It's always with me all the time. So, you know, that reminds me where I came from. Yeah. And what mom fed me and where's my next meal? So I'm thinking right. about all these things at the same time.
0: Wow. That's amazing, huh? I think we all need um, something like that to to remind us of, like you said, where did I come from, right? What did I learn? Well, where's my next meal coming from? Sort of thing. Stay humble and remember those experiences that got you to where you are today. So, um, exactly. And speaking of those experiences that got you where today, let's yeah. talk about that COVID shit show you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, oh, which which kind of you know put you on um a new journey because like you said the hawaiian food tours were shut down well yeah um the
1: covid shit show that was a mess and it was for everybody and we all have ptsd to some extent we're all messed up we all have suffered mentally from that experience and i was like not any sort of a master at handling my anxiety and my depression. Right. And in no way should anyone think that, oh, Matthew just took uh, COVID and just like took a step and pivoted over to something brand new. Right. That's that's not the case. I was yeah. twisting in the wind just like everyone else. I was scared. I was paranoid. I was depressed and anxious and so on. So it took me a while to decide what to do next. I was just kind of uh, – um not at my best. And I think that that probably explains where a lot of people are still. Oh, absolutely. I feel, I feel that to a significant
0: degree myself. Right. And, uh, and like you say, you know, to, to get you to, to where you would go next. And has that led into now the podcast? Cause I know you said, you know, you're, you're big on helping creatives and, and I know, you know, you're, you're wanting to help people get off medications um you know live that's a cleaner life focus and, and, right. and that's kind of where your life has taken you now um and, and is that kind of the premise behind the podcast um uh, t- t- talk to me about uh um your, your new your new venture well you know
1: th- the new venture which is not uh, officially stamped with that venture rubber stamp. Okay. It's just something that, that, that is within me. I'm kind of in a stage where, like I said earlier in the show that, you know, I'm fortunate in that I, I survived those years, the early years. Right. And I lived life to excess for a long, long time. And my personal journey is an interesting one from, from the perspective of at one point in time, I was 100 pounds heavier than I am right now. Right. Okay. I had type, type two diabetes and I was on about a half a dozen medications. Wow. And had I not pulled it together and learned a lot about science and medicine, I would maybe not be here today. Half of our audience right now, half of them are either obese. Yep type 2 diabetic or on their way shortly, and they need to lose weight, and they want to get off their meds, and they don't know what to do. And I realized that because I was one of them, but I overcame it. I learned what to do and how to do that. So, I'm helping people get healthy, living lives so they can be with their friends and their family and their spouses 10 years from now and not have to worry about their life anymore.
0: Right. And it can be hard. I mean, A, nobody likes change um and b you know you didn't gain that 100 pounds overnight uh and you didn't lose it overnight and we we live in a society now where instant gratification is huge And, and it's too easy to give up and it's too easy to stay in that comfort zone um because sometimes we're okay lying to ourselves uh you know and that's unfortunate we we don't really look ourselves in the mirror when we're facing, you know, hardship. Uh, right. we kind of close, you know, a blind eye and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get on that tomorrow. Yeah. Doctor said this and yeah, I know, you know what? I've gone up a couple of pants sizes or whatever it is. Um, and it can be hard for us to face those realities of. You know, and, and there's a saying, take time for your health before your health makes you take time for it. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, that, that is so true. So, um, so what other ways are, are you working with people to, to get them on the straight and narrow for lack of a better term?
1: Well, oh, the way I get people on the straight and narrow is to be able to just do this, to get my message out, to let people know that I'm in a pay it forward kind of mode in my life. Right. And so, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's going to be costly. I want to help you, and uh, and uh I'm available. All you have to do is go to any, my website, so you can call me by the telephone. You can email me if you need help with your health, your diet, getting off of meds, maybe fighting back type 2 like I did, losing yeah. weight. Losing weight is a big one. A lot of people just want to lose – how do I lose 20 pounds? Matt, how do I do that? I know how to do that. Right, my work is guaranteed, and I I can do that. But the only thing I can't do, Reggie, is I can't make someone ready. They have right. to get ready on their own and right. decide that they are ready. Then they reach out to me, and then the magic happens.
0: Right, and, and you know what I mean. Yeah, and that's no different than you know, an and and a, 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 sorry, an addict or or somebody. You have to be ready. You can't force somebody. You can't, you know, hold up that mirror and make them look at themselves and saying, look at yourself. Like you're heading down the wrong road. No, they got to see it. And, and until then, you know what? You're, you're just, and I won't say you're wasting time by banging on that door, but you're going to be knocking on that door a hell of a long time yeah. until they're ready to open that door. So, um, you know, good on you for, for being willing to help. And we're definitely going to get those links and, uh, you know, all that out um, onto the website. So people can contact you because I'm sure people will, right. They're, they're going to hear some of themselves in yeah. in this and they're going to say, you know what, uh, it, it's time. I, I need to just shit or get off the pot and, and it's time. Right. So, um, so I'm glad that you're able to offer that to people. When someone gets ready, I act
1: as a motivator and an educator, and I will be there for you. And that's the important stuff that everybody needs. They need that kind of mentor in in a new field, a new direction. But I, I wish I could make people want it, right. but I can't. No. I can do the rest. But if you decide you want help, you can come to me, and I will help you.
0: That's awesome. Listen, how out of all the things you've done. Uh, across your life, entrepreneurial wise, is there any commonalities that you would say served you regardless of whether it was, you know, cooking in people's houses, uh, being on the road, um, you know, moving to a new place a- a- and doing journalism? Is there anything that you would say kind of served you well as an entrepreneur?
1: I think what served me well and still to this day does is the same thing that serves everyone else well who has good social skills. I think that there were uh, some scientists about a decade, maybe 20 years ago, who did some studies and they found out that people who are most successful in life are people who are adept in their social skills, not necessarily people who are educated in a really deep way. So, if you can communicate – I think that that is going to be the most important factor in your future. And so I've always been kind of like a a walking gab fest. Okay, (laughs) I love chatting. I love people. And I think all that kind of comes across. I think it blends together. And if you have good social skills, you're going to be fine. And if you keep your eye on the prize, even though you're going to fall down a few times along the way, that's fine too. So, you know, you got to, you got to, Go easy on yourself. You have to understand that the journey is, is the biggest part of the life. It's, it's not the
0: destination. Right. And, and that, that kind of leads into, you know, the next question I was going to ask. What kind of advice would you give to anybody? And, and regardless, because you've done different things, if somebody is thinking, yeah, you know what? I'm not happy with doing what I'm doing. Maybe I should take that leap. Maybe I should look at starting my own business. What kind of advice would you give to somebody? I would try to find out their goals.
1: Okay. And I think that's always a really great directional uh, compass point to be able to then springboard from. So, everyone has different goals. Some people get into things because they want to make money. Other yeah. people get into things because the, their, their heart, their creative side wants to get into it. So I would probably try to assess someone's goals first. Right. And I do the same thing when, when I'm helping people with their health or uh, changing over their, their nutritional or their diet or that kind of thing. So I don't think it's an either or circumstance. I think I take everything. Inside that gray area, which is 80% of life. It's right. not the 10% yeah. this way or the 10% on the other end. It's all the stuff in the middle. All right. And that's, that's who I'm about. That's what I'm about. And that's what the show is going to be about also.
0: Right. So has the show aired yet or is it something you're, you're working up to?
1: We're working up to it. Okay. Right now, the only thing that there is, if you take a look on, uh, YouTube and you type in 50 tastes of gray. There's an intro video there that I put up just to give people a little taste of what I'm going to be doing. Right. It's going to be, it's going to have a lot of food centric concepts and ideas. Okay. And every show will begin with me asking my guests what have they eaten today. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But the the stories of success and creation and ideas and objectives and coaching and things like that that what you talk about will still be on the table. So nothing's out of bounds for me. Right. And it's just going to be done hopefully in a nice, warm and loving style, not too much confrontation. Yeah. But unless it's necessary. (laughs) Right. uh,
0: Right. (laughs) Not afraid uh, to put them in their place if needed be. Right. You know, you have to, (laughs) you,
1: you have to take control. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that that next stage, too, doing the, the podcasting because it's completely different than what I used to do with talk radio, which was a very linear kind of aspect of interviewing people over a phone. Right. But you didn't have this ability to see someone. Right. And you didn't have the ability to go back and in a nonlinear fashion, be able to tag an intro on the front side and then take the backside and do yeah. an outro with a call to action. Right. So, I kind of dig that whole technical aspect. Of where we're at right now, with with all the technology and the and the shows and the platforms that are out there for us, so I'm excited about this next level, this yeah. next
0: journey. That's awesome. And, and, and I was just going to ask you, you know, what are you excited about? So, so you just answered that, you know, um, excited about the the next journey. And and if I. Got anything out of you? There'll probably be a next journey <laughs> and, and possibly another one, right? And uh, I hope so. I, I love
1: travel. I love baseball. I'm really excited about the upcoming baseball season. Okay, a lot of rules changes are taking place. Right, and so that you know, a lot of people are big, big time sports fans, and so for me, it, it's baseball. Okay, so it will be it will be roundly associated with my life, my day to day experience, with my family and my kitty right. cats and and all of that that so you know i'm i'm a regular guy
0: with uh kind of regular desires you know just like you and everyone else right no well, that's great um so listen you know i we're, we're getting close to the end here um so i want to ask you just a couple of fun questions things i ask you know all the guests just to just to see where you are um and and i'd be very surprised if if you have one because of everything you've done in your life but do you still do you have a bucket list
1: I don't, I don't have a bucket list. It's, it's difficult for me to even imagine what my bucket list might look like. I think if I were to create one here on the fly, um, near the end, yeah. as you said, uh, it would be just to continue doing some travel because travel has always been at the core of my existence. Right, it started you know early on. I went to Europe with my high school sweetheart. That was before I went out on the road with the uh, rock and roll band. Right, and travel was always a big thing to my family as a kid, coming across country. So travel still brews inside of me and bubbles inside of me, and hopefully I uh, I will be comfortable enough and the world will be a safe enough place to be able to do that in the future
0: right um what keeps you motivated when times get tough when what gets you out of bed and you say you know what i just got to keep pushing shame um you know i I,
1: things like uh, not wanting to drop to my knees and cry myself to sleep at night that's (laughs) what keeps me going (laughs)
0: okay (laughs) yeah and and we don't want that for you uh so you know yeah so keep shameless i guess (laughs) Uh, so uh listen you know what this has been great um like i said any part of your life we could probably spend an hour um with all your experiences in that and and i think you're an inspiration to anybody who's who's looking to you know step out and, and just get something going and, and kind of like you did, you, you kind of figure it out as you're doing it. Um, you know, there were some things that we weren't quite sure, but we're going to give it a shot anyhow and, and see where it goes. So, um, that's part of the journey, right? That's the excitement of the journey. And, and you've had a lifetime of them. Um, and, you know, I think it's great. Uh, I aspire to have a lot more of that in, in, in my time as well. So, if people want to reach out, if people want to know more, how can they get a hold of Matthew? Well, you know, you can Google me. I Googled myself this morning, by the way. Okay. okay. That doesn't sound <laughs> naughty at all. But. <laughs> yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah.
1: Matthew Gray, Hawaii. You can... uh Google that, or you can just come to one of my websites, which is hawaiifoodtours.com. Okay. My phone number is there, my personal phone number, my email address, my personal email. You can go to lovelife.com, which is being built out again since okay. uh, the early nineties when I was doing the love life radio network. So I'm really accessible. If somebody wants to reach Matthew Gray in Hawaii, right? Your guy and just, just do it. If you need help, with your diet or getting off your meds or losing weight. I mean, that's a simple thing that I can help you with like in one month. So there's just stuff that we can do. Let's that's not wait any longer. Right. Let's have it. Let's make it happen. And right. It's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like younger, old. It's good to make things happen. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm going to be touching on that here in a second. Um, but I'm definitely going to be putting all those links on the website so people can reach out to you. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that they'll see that you're probably a pretty easy guy to work with. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to feel like, Oh, you know what? Here's somebody judging me or, or, you know, who's going to be a stick in the mud sort of thing. I, I think you you'd be a pretty laid back, easy going guys so um so listen i want to thank you for joining us today joining me in the and the legends um and uh, as always legends i want to thank you for allowing me for allowing matthew into your world i hope you got some value from today you know I, i i hope you're become inspired to to keep turning your dreams into reality um if you haven't yet you know what hit that subscribe button. I want to keep doing this with you every week um, because I'm having fun with it. And, and like I said in, in the welcome episode that I want to take you on this journey. I want to see you get to where you want to be. So um, as always, I'm going to wrap up with the, the golden nugget and it kind of touches on something that Matthew had said there about, uh, you know, it, let's, let's just do it. Um, the average life expectancy in north america is 79 years now when you're young right it seems like i've, I've got all the time in the world to to figure out what i want to do to reach my goals and as you get older there's there's a strange phenomena that happens and, and you start to question where the hell did the time go um you know it's just amazing how, how even though we still have the same 24 hours in a day I don't know. There's, there's some point in life where that, that gets a lot shorter. Um, but regardless of what age you are, you know, I want you to take a different perspective. I, I heard this somewhere and I just can't remember where I heard it, but I thought it was great. Instead of looking at life as, you know, having 79 years, I want you to look at it as having seventy nine seasons. You have seventy nine springs, seventy nine summers, seventy nine falls, seventy nine winters. And when you look at life that way, I think it takes on a little more urgency. Um, because if I told you, listen, Matthew, you only have seventy nine dollars to get through, you know, this month i'm sure you're going to make sure that you get value out of each and every dollar um so i i wonder why we don't do the same thing with our seasons right the most valuable resource you have is not money it's your time it's your seasons and you know if you're 20 and you're listening to this you're already a quarter way through your seasons Right. If you're 26, you're a third of the way through. If you're 40, I I got bad news for you. 50% of your seasons, you know, technically are gone. And so starting today, you know, I want you to focus at getting more value from each season. I I want you to learn more, love more, laugh more. And I guarantee, you know, you will be well on your way to becoming that legend you know you're destined to be. That's a wrap. I appreciate you all. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Hey, everybody. I just want to thank you for joining us on today's episode. I hope you got some value out of it. I hope you got some education. I hope you got some inspiration to help you on your way and your journey to becoming that entrepreneur you know you deserve to be. Now, listen, if there's anything you're struggling with, any questions you would like answered, any subject you would like us to cover, reach out to me. And if you're somebody who would like to be a guest on the show, to share your knowledge, to share your inspiration, to help that next group of entrepreneurs get to where they want to be, I would love to have you on the show. Either way, you can reach out to me at podcast at realfuckingjob.com. That's podcast at r-e-a-l f u k I-n-g-j-o-b dot com once again, thanks for listening. Truly appreciate you. Now go out there and start turning that dream into a reality.